Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. Probably the American city that I most consider to be like my home, other than Portland, Oregon, is San Francisco. My mother grew up there, and I've been there a number of times. I have friends in the Bay Area. And other than Portland, it's the one place in the U.S. where I feel totally fine getting lost. Despite all the times I've been to San Francisco, though, I've never been to Alcatraz. This is not an affectation. Uh, this isn't because I feel like I'm too cool to do the overpriced, touristy, cheesy tours. I've actually bugged my friends about doing an Alcatraz tour when I've been down there, but no one's ever wanted to spend an afternoon with me doing a tour of an old prison. But even though I've never actually set foot on the island, I've looked at it plenty and I understand why it has the reputation it has. And even if it wasn't the most secure prison in American history, or the worst prison, or the biggest prison, or the longest lived prison, it was only actually a federal penitentiary for 29 years. It still has a certain something. Alcatraz Island is a symbol of isolation. Removing criminals from the mainland, that's an obvious symbol of removing them from society in general. And going to Alcatraz meant that, even though you could look out and see civilization, you were condemned to not take part in it. In fact, as a symbol, it's almost a little too on the nose. That sort of isolation almost seems to invite attempts at escape and rebellion. And probably the most dramatic example of convicts trying to break away from that island, it happened in 1946 during an event that is now fittingly known as the Battle of Alcatraz. The mastermind of the operation was Bernard Paul Coy. He had been sentenced to 26 years in prison for attempting to rob a bank at the point of a sawed-off shotgun. Coy prepared for his escape attempt for some time. He monitored the guards' habits, he recruited various accomplices, and he also began constructing makeshift tools and even starving himself so he could escape from Alcatraz. And this was not a sneak-out-at-night type of plan. This was not the type of thing where Coy and his accomplices would go unnoticed until the next day or next several days. The plan that they had devised was a violent one. Even if every part of their plan went well, it would still involve a fair amount of violence and intimidation and possible loss of life. And on the afternoon of May 2nd, 1946, Coy put this plan into motion while he was supposed to be cleaning the kitchen. The first step for Coy was breaking into the prison guard's arsenal, because again, this is not a sneak-out-at-night plan, this is a violent plan. And the arsenal was located in an elevated gallery that, for obvious reasons, didn't have a door facing where prisoners were allowed to go. What prisoners could see was a barred room about two stories above the floor of the prison, filled with guns. And beneath the barred wall of the arsenal were other different barred walls of the floors beneath it. So what Coy is going to do, he's going to climb up two stories of prison bars until he gets to the bars just outside the arsenal and then somehow go through them and get access to guns. Coy and two of his accomplices, 
they overpowered and incapacitated a guard. They made it out of the kitchen, and they made their way to the floor just under the arsenal. Coy, he climbed up those two stories worth of prison bars, and when he got to the top, he could see all the guns. They were behind bars, and to fit through, he'd made a bar spreader out of various toilet parts. He positioned this crude ramshackle device between the bars of the cell. He began cranking and expanded the five inches between the bars to ten. And ten inches is still a fairly small space for an adult human body to fit through. And Koi, he apparently smeared his body with axle grease and starved himself prior to this escape attempt in order to fit through that ten-inch space between the spread bars. Koi, when he's inside, managed to surprise and beat a guard and then strangled the man with a necktie, incapacitating him. With the guard unconscious, Koi, the former bank robber, the man who had tried to steal money from a financial institution with a sawed-off shotgun, he now found himself in the middle of a much more high-stakes heist, lifting weaponry from the prison that held him, and he was able to pass guns to his various accomplices. So now, suddenly, without any kind of warning, there are prisoners in Alcatraz who are armed, and they're able to use the element of surprise on various guards and hustle them at gunpoint into cells. And very importantly, Coy and his men, they're trying to break out of the building and into the recreation yard where they can hopefully continue to a dock, steal a boat, and from there, somehow, theoretically, make their way to freedom, possibly by holding hostages at gunpoint to avoid getting shot at by the authorities. Coy and his men, during all this, they began opening cells and trying to get other prisoners to join them, and some did. But, notably, other prisoners rather prudently remained in their cells. Plenty of guys probably had the foresight to see that this whole steal guns and beat up guards thing was not going to go well, and just figured that they would keep their heads down till it all blew over. So plenty of people did join them, but a lot of guys elected not to. And again, to get outside, Coy would need more than just his bar spreader made of toilet parts and some axle grease. He would need the actual key to open the doors to the outside world, to the recreation yard. The guard with the keys, though, had thought on his feet. Seeing everything go down as it had, he had handed over the key ring, but minus the crucial key to the recreation yard. That key, the guard, had stashed in a toilet before the rebels had gotten to him. So, for Coy and his accomplices, everything had gone well for them up until this point. They have the guards at gunpoint, hustled in the cells, they managed to get the prison keys, but the one key that they truly need, the key to the recreation yard, they still don't have. They're trapped inside Alcatraz, still. They can't move forward with their escape attempt. Things inside Alcatraz start to get a bit more heated 
and a bit more chaotic as the armed inmates are not able to find their way outside. And one of Coy's accomplices, a man called Joseph Kretzer, angrily drew a gun and began firing into one of the cells that was filled with guards. Eventually, the desperate convicts, the angry, gun-toting, gun-firing convicts at this point, they found a key to the prison yard, but the lock was jammed. They were still inside. Obviously, the authorities responded. The alarm sirens at Alcatraz, they were sounded, and soon all of San Francisco knew that something was happening inside the prison. Nearby Marines and Coast Guard, they were contacted to assist the authorities at Alcatraz, and the warden began assembling a team to rescue the guards that had been taken captive by Coy and his accomplices. The first team of rescue guards, they descended upon cell block D, where Coy and his guys were holed up, and they soon found themselves in a firefight with the armed inmates who had fortified their position on top of a cell block. The inmates, they were actually in a fairly defensible position. They were high up on top of the cell block. Also, they were at the end of a long hallway. Any guards attempting to engage with them, they would have to go through a choke point where they could be very easily fired upon. So the inmates, in their defensible, fortified position, they were able to claim the life of one of the guards who was trying to rescue the other captive guards. Further shots were fired, and soon an all-out gun battle and siege was happening inside of America's most famous prison. The Marines, for their part, were trying a different approach. They weren't approaching the inmates head-on in the middle of a choke point, in the middle of a kill zone. The Marines, they drilled holes in the ceiling of the prison and started dropping grenades into the cell block. The grenades that they were dropping, they were attached to wires, the idea being that the grenades would explode in the air and suppress the activity inside. So folks below the explosion, they would feel the force of the explosion, though not the brunt of the explosion directly. The idea being is that this would be loud and intimidating, and it would force people to stop firing their guns. The whole battle, it lasted... 48 hours. It was 48 hours of gunfights, mortars, confusion, injuries, and death. The guards and the marines, at certain points they were not entirely sure where the rebel convicts were inside the building. The convicts, they kept moving around, changing their position, re-fortifying, and a barrage of bullets and explosives ripped through the building. Ordinary San Franciscans, knowing that something loud, dramatic, and violent was happening on Alcatraz Island, looked out toward the bay to catch a glimpse of the chaos happening just outside of their civilized city. Eventually, as you would expect, the prisoners were overwhelmed by the guards and the marines. After the smoke cleared, Bernard Paul Coy, the man who'd planned it all, he was found dead wearing a prison guard's uniform, presumably attempting to escape that way. And four other people, two guards, and two inmates, they were dead. Fourteen other guards and a single inmate were injured. The surviving prisoners who had taken part in the rebellion were eventually sent to the gas chamber. The prisoners who had prudently decided to keep their heads down and wait for it to all blow over had made 
a more wise decision in the long term. And I know that people died and there were injuries and that this was, in fact, a tragic event for those involved. But it seems that if the Battle of Alcatraz hadn't actually happened, it would be the type of thing that we'd have to invent. A structure that foreboding and dramatic, it just invites this kind of action movie type stuff. You see Alcatraz and it is a compelling setting and you want a compelling narrative to go with it. And the next time I'm down in the Bay Area, I'm going to bug my friends, who think they're all too cool for overpriced touristy type stuff, to go on one of those, you know, cheesy tours of the rock. And I hope that the guide will milk this story for all it's worth. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. Please give us a review. Please give us a rating. Uh, That helps a lot of people find out about the podcast. We're also on the actual radio. We're on Portland's X-Ray FM. Um, at 9 o'clock and 9.30, at 11 o'clock and 11.30 on Thursdays in the mornings. Uh, You can listen to the show on the airwaves. Uh, If you want to support the podcast, and I think you should, there's a Patreon campaign. Go to interestingtimespodcast.com, click on Support IT on Patreon, and please do do that. Uh, This is an ad-free podcast. I work for you. I don't work for advertisers. So if you can send us a buck, two bucks, ten bucks, as many bucks as you want every month, go for that. Thank you folks for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.